Hello everyone, it's Elizabeth Weiss, the audiovisual specialist here at Missouri Farm Bureau, here to introduce to you a special episode of Digging In. Congressman G.T. Thompson, Republican from Pennsylvania, and Congressman Sam Graves, Republican from Missouri, held a meeting in Platt County last week to discuss their efforts to fight the Biden administration's new push to expand the WOTUS rule. Thompson is the top Republican on the House Agriculture Committee, and Graves is the same on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. They discussed their plans to combat this rule if and when they should become the chairman of their respective committees in January. Thank you so much to G.T. Thompson and Sam Graves for having Missouri Farm Bureau help with this event and we hope you enjoy this episode of digging in with missouri farm bureau never want to stop good conversation but we'll go ahead and and get started thank you everyone for for coming out today to talk about waters of the u.s um wotus and, and the issue that seems to never go away uh, we have talked about this issue for so long and it's a perfect day to to come inside for a little bit and and talk about where this rule stands and more importantly what our friends in Congress are doing to help push back against this administration's overreach uh, that we're experiencing again. I'd like to start again today by thanking Marty Richardson and the Richardson family. Marty, there you are, so thank you for hosting. So again, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Garrett Hawkins, and I'm proud to serve as president of the Missouri Farm Bureau and, and just appreciate all of our members who are here today. I see so many county leaders who are here. We have state board members from Vice President Todd Hayes to Sharon Arnold, Andy Clay, former or retired board member Sharon Arnold, as well as Hal Sweeney. So we are here in full force, as well as a number of county presidents. You know, we're here because this has been a an issue that in many ways Missouri has been the epicenter of. And Sam, you'll remember back during the Obama years, there's a reason why the administrator herself, Gina McCarthy, came to Missouri, because there was so much pushback against the administration's overreach in 2015. In so many ways, we can be proud that Missouri farmers and ranchers, small business owners, construction, you name it, everyone was united against that overreach. And so during the Trump years, when we think about the progress that was made in regulatory reform, one of the true, true signature achievements was putting in place the Navigable Water Protection Rule, a rule that for the first time drew a bright line, uh, a bright line between where federal jurisdiction ends and where state regulation begins, which is something that we have wanted since 1972 when the Clean Water Act was first put in place. And so we all expected when President Biden took office, we knew uh, the Navajo Water Protection Rule would be in the crosshairs, and it didn't, they didn't waste any time before the rollback started. And, and many of you know, uh, the administration has said this is a two-step process. Step one was a, the official pullback. And, and right now, we're very much in limbo as we wait to hear where the administration's headed, but that's what we're gonna talk about today. But what we do know, is everything that we fought against in 2015 in terms of uh, ditches, ephemeral streams, places that are essentially dry only uh, until it rains. All these spots where water may only collect or run after a rainfall are all of a sudden fair game again uh, under this administration with their approach to navigable waters. So we're gonna talk about that and when we get to q and I'm sure there are probably gonna be some other things that are on, on folks' minds. So. 
I do want to recognize a few other folks that are here before I get to our special guests. Uh, see, we have the executive director of the Coalition to Protect the Missouri River, Mr. Shane Kinney. So Shane, thank you for being here. Aaron Fanning, uh, who serves as the director of the Department of Natural Resources Water Center. So Aaron, thank you for being here. We also have uh, accompanying uh, Congressman Thompson, we have Joby Young, uh, as well as Aaron Wilson. So Aaron, there's, there's Aaron. You all have a chance. We'll introduce Joby here at the end because he's got a, a neat new connection to, to Farm Bureau that I wanna make sure to mention before we, before we end today. So to kick things off, I'm gonna invite uh, our longtime friend, Sam Graves, to open up with remarks. You know, so before I pitch it to Sam, there's so much in common between Congressman Thompson, between GT and Sam. Their districts, you know, Sam's district, what you span about a third of the state. GT, your district spans about a third of Pennsylvania. Um, you'll see in both of their styles, their demeanor, very, very similar. And, you know, when we think about friends to agriculture, we couldn't ask anything more from these two. Sam knows it because he lives it. We're so thankful that he's the ranking member on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And we have high hopes as we think about the months ahead, what you're gonna be able to do, Sam, no pressure. Uh, but T&I, that committee is the Committee of Jurisdiction uh, for, for WOTUS. So, so Sam, kick it off with some introductory comments. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks, Garrett. Um, Garrett mentioned that uh, we don't know what the administration's gonna do um, with, uh, with WOTUS. Um, I fear the worst, though. I fear that they're going to, uh, uh, we're gonna go right back to where uh, the Obama administration took us. Uh, and it's unfortunate. This is a, it, it, it's, it's a nightmare that never ends. It just keeps coming back and coming back. Uh, and it's very frustrating. What's even more frustrating is this last round, um, the administration kind of packed the, uh, the system um, by changing the comment period. They went to, uh, they, they made it the easiest they could, or the hardest, I guess you might say, when it comes to uh, doing the comments. And they did these regional um, round tables or, or whatever you want to call it. And it was very frustrating from that standpoint uh, as well. They're finished with those. I think the last one was just held. And uh, we're going to find out, I guess, what uh, which direction the administration is going to uh, uh, is going to go. But we're going to have to fight back. This is this is a fight that I'm afraid is going to. It's kind of like the Missouri River. Um, we've been fighting that forever. It seems like uh, trying to get uh, navigation and and uh, flood control back into uh, the top priorities, and uh, at least make them the top priorities. And and uh, it's a never-ending fight. And this is kind of turning into the uh, to the same thing. Um, I'm actually looking forward to hearing what, what GT has to say. Um, he's a great member of Congress. Um, he is very uh, even keel, and he, uh, uh, you know, he he is, is a very thoughtful person. He thinks about these things. He thinks them through, and uh, and takes positions. And and he's a power to uh, uh, to be reckoned with when he uh, does take a position. So glad to have you here in in uh, Northwest Missouri, North Missouri. And uh, it's it's a good part of the country. You, you, GT, you might also tell folks a little bit about your district itself. Well, I'll do that. First of all, I got to tell you, I don't, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to calling this gentleman chairman of the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Yeah, he, uh, you know, for for those of us that have a, and it's important no matter from whatever perspective. I think from every American's perspective, but but if you've got a, a like us a passion for agriculture I mean we can raise all the commodities in the best possible way in the best possible times but if we can't get them to market it's all for nothing and that's transportation and infrastructure 
and so it's it's exciting uh, you know I don't have a crystal ball but I am looking forward to November well that's about as political as I'll get um, yeah hey thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be here I'm I'm really excited about being here. I, I do hail from uh, uh, from uh, central Pennsylvania uh, my district there's uh, 17 members of Con no, right, 18 members of Congress from Pennsylvania. We're going to go to 17. Um, and uh, in my district right now is 24% of the land mass, but it'll be a full one-third uh, with this next redistricting. So a uh, great rural district. Um, you know, from Pennsylvania, our number one industry, as fellow Penn Stater knows, is agriculture. Our biggest commodity is dairy, but we've got uh, uh, beef and corn and soybeans and weed and hardwoods and it, it's really varied. And then we got that fungus over around Philadelphia. If you like that on your pizza, that's probably coming from, from Pennsylvania, about four hours from my district, but I'm a big fan of the mushroom growers. They do a good job. Um, and frankly, I'm a big fan of, though I represent Pennsylvania's 15th congressional district and, and agriculture is so important in Pennsylvania, but my role is uh, the ranking member, uh, Republican leader, quite frankly, in these jobs, we had called a lot of names. Some of them are unkind. Uh, my favorite right now is chairman in exile of the House Agriculture Committee. And, um, and within that role, I take it really seriously to be a voice for all of what I, I used to call, uh, well, all of agriculture. And I used to call it rural America. Today, I call it essential America. Because there's not a thing that uh, an American family, no matter where they live, where their zip code is, whether it's back a farm lane, a suburban area, or, an, or a heavily densely populated city, all the things that they need are essential in life come from our areas of, of, of America. So we truly are essential America, and that's a message we need to remind people of. Um, the, uh, uh, so it is a, a privilege to be the, the, uh, uh, the ranking member on the, on the House Agriculture Committee. Our, you know, my, my vision for the committee is such that uh, uh, two parts to my vision. Number one, if we're doing our job right, we restore a robust rural economy. Um, and that is so important. It's important to every American family. As I like to say, without a robust rural economy, you know, people starting with folks that live in the big cities are going to wake up in the cold, dark, and hungry. And uh, the more I learn about cotton, they're going to wake up naked, too. I try to get that picture out of my mind, but it's just, it's just, uh, sorry I put that in your head, but, uh, you know, uh, but it's true, right? Because that, because, you know, the families that provide the food, the fiber, the building materials, the energy resources really come from agriculture, come from Central America. So that's the first part of my vision for my work with the Agriculture Committee. Uh, the, the, the second part is if we're doing the right types of policies, advancing the right types of legislation, we're beginning to repopulate rural America or Central America. And we need to do that. It, for too long, our number one export has been our, our youngest generation. You know, we, 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 you know, we have our kids, we give them great educations and loving families, and, and, uh, and they go off to... You know, many times they go off to find opportunities somewhere else. When, when quite frankly, you know, in 2022 and forward, opportunity is right here at home with what we have. Now we need, we got some things we got to take care of, like uh, end, uh, bridging this digital divide, ending the, uh, when it deals with rural broadband, especially after that plague we worked, lived with in 19 and 20. You know, we, we know how important that is. And quite frankly, uh, you know, those of us who live in, in rural America, we, 
it needs to be a fair fight. And we do that by giving adequate bandwidth uh, access. And that's something the committee has worked on in a very bipartisan way. So those are the two visions. Uh, I'm really pleased here to, um, well, actually, I wish we weren't here talking about WOTUS. <laughs> WOTUS is like locusts, you know? It keeps coming back with the promise of doing tremendous damage, and that's what locusts do. Um, but I'm gonna tell you right up front, um, I'm a big fan of the Clean Water Act. Now, you gotta remember, I'm from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, where when I was probably a child uh, in, or, in and around Pittsburgh, you could literally light one of those rivers on fire. Um, and the Clean Water Act helped to clean all that up. The Clean Water Act, as it stands, properly interpreted the way Congress passed it, you know, it, um, it, it gave sovereignty to the states for non-navigable waters. And um, I um, and Sam's committee really took the lead uh, uh, back when we had this battle with the Biden administration. Um, I, at the time, had the privilege of chairing the Agriculture Subcommittee, which was conservation, forestry, watersheds, and soils. So we got involved with battling WOTUS. And I don't know how many times I had someone from a district um, office of the EPA before the committee, and I just challenged them. I said, show me where the problem was. Show me where the problem is. And, you know, maybe, maybe you could convince me that this, this single largest taking of private property rights in the history of our country is, is a good idea. You know what? They, they, they would never step up and do that. They, they couldn't do it. Um, so my point is the Clean Water Act has really been effective. I give a lot of credit to my predecessors. Uh, you know, there's a division of responsibility. Navigable waters is, is the federal government. Um, and non-navigable waters is uh, obviously is the state government. Um, you know, I, now we have this technical term for the areas that you described uh, when you were describing, uh, okay. you know, these, uh, these areas where it would rain and the water would lay there. Now, technically, we call them mud puddles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys call them mud puddles here, too? Oh, yes. Okay, so mud puddles. <laughs> you know, it just, you know, technically, if you take the, the Obama-Biden definition with their WOTUS proposal, your rain gutters <laughs> would qualify, you know, and... And you think about this, uh, you know, the, the, it's the nexus, right? Uh, that's the, the Sackett case that we'll be talking about, I'm sure. You know, it's the nexus to navigable waters. What makes something a navigable water? Um, and that's, that's the big question that's out there. But the implications of the, if they would, uh, and I was so pleased. I actually was in the EPA office in Pittsburgh um, uh, when, when it was announced nationally uh, the navigable water rule was announced uh, under President Trump, really providing a certainty. And the consequences of, and we don't know what this administration is proposing, that's the problem. But, um, you know, the, the, but the consequences, if it's purely within the definition of what President Obama and at the time Vice President Biden was trying to do, was that your private property, you would be required if it met the definition of, of being non or uh, being navigable waters, you know, like mud puddles and ditches and whatever, you'd, you'd, be, you'd have to get federal permits to use your own land. And I don't know how many of you try to get federal permits today, <laughs> but it is a lifetime endeavor to get them today. Now, if, you know, if we say three quarters, and I don't know what the, the actual number is, but let's say three quarters of property owners in this country would have property that fall under um, uh, WOTUS. Um, even if you did the right thing or the legal thing and applied for a permit, you'd never get it in your lifetime. 
you know, they don't have the capacity. So it's, it's, it's a policy that doesn't even make sense that they could even implement it, but what it would cost. So, uh, so I, I just uh, really, uh, really thankful, Sam, for the invitation to be here, to be a part of this, uh, this discussion. And, and, um, and, and more than anything else, here to listen. And maybe that's why I like agriculture. I like what God has given us. And he gave me two ears and one mouth, so I'm going to shut up and listen. Um, I always try to listen twice, at least twice as much as what I talk. And, uh, um, and, and part of this, for me, the, the benefit with the Agriculture Committee is you got a lot of great folks here that can have some great input into the next Farm Bill. Because this current Farm Bill expires at the end of September in 2023. And, um, and we need your voices as a part of that farm bill process. You don't want us writing a farm bill or any other piece of legislation just listening to the voices inside the Beltway of Washington. It would not work out well. Um, and that's why I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you, Congressman Thompson. So when you talk about landmass and impacts on private property, under the 2015 rule, 99 point, I think it was 7 percent of Missouri would fall under the WOTUS rule. So I mean that that's huge. Huge, huge. So Congressman Grace, Committee of Jurisdiction, you've been around this issue a long time, which really can be described as a ping pong match back and forth and the regula regulatory uncertainty that we face all the time as a result, you know, the former chairman back years ago, Mr. Oberstar had a real passion and tried to do some work legislatively to expand the reach. How do you see this within, how do we ever get well, We can, you know, and a lot depends on what happens in November um, and who's in charge and, and, you know, where the majority lies. Um, and we can pass legislation that, that, that rolls back anything that the administration does, but the administration or the president's going to have to sign it, and that's the problem. Um, obviously, President uh, Biden has two more years uh, left in his administration, and, and uh, it would be hard to see if, uh, if he signs it. You know, the frustrating thing about um, President Biden is this is a much different individual than I worked with when I first got to, uh, to Washington. He's completely changed. Um, it's hard to understand exactly why that is. He used to be very reasonable. You could talk to him. You know, he was always looking for compromise. Um, he believed in, in uh, compromise. Um, but what we're seeing today is nothing like the, the Joe Biden that I knew when he was in the United States Senate. Uh, nothing like it. And it's hard to see him, so far at least on, uh, on legislation that, uh, uh, that at least I've been a part of, you know, he hasn't been willing to compromise at all. He, he talks a good game in the beginning, and then it completely departs from that. So I don't know if he's being, uh, if, if he's, if he's being led or if he's actually the person that's, that's leading. Um, it's hard to tell, but, but I don't see him signing anything that we might put out if we take uh, if we take the majority. Obviously, the Supreme Court um, has decided to take up uh, the case. We now have a Supreme Court that, that uh, follows the Constitution um, rather than uh, the, the political wins. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful, too, that there will be some, uh, uh, at least some, uh, some clarity uh, as much as anything else that comes out of, uh, you know, what they decide to do. They're going to take it up in the fall, I believe. So that will be fascinating. You know, what, what, are, what are some takeaways during your summer travel thus far? Well, the, uh, the one word that comes to mind is the uncertainty. 
no matter what you do in life, what business you have, certainly in agriculture, you need to have certainty when you're planning, uh, when you're moving ahead, when you're farming, uh, or you're running any kind of a business. That goes for uh, the, the processing side, agri-products, um, and, and the uncertainty of this administration, starting with Waters of the U.S., which has been around now for, for quite a while, the threat of it. And just the threat of it, you know, the question is, what, what does that, how does that impact what people decide for purchasing, uh, maybe expanding acreage? Uh, uh, what kind of operation are they putting? Because uh, the true question is, is, uh, is, is this EPA under the Biden administration going to define what is the nexus that connects you with navigable waters? Uh, it was a real stretch what they did under President Obama and Vice, Vice President Biden. And uh, I think our fear and our concern is, you know, that that's exactly what they're, they're going to put out. Um, they're real concerned, quite frankly, that, that we had the, uh, the navigable water rule uh, under President Trump that provided certainty and really seemed to, you know, the, to fill the need. And that was, uh, that obviously was challenged by a liberal uh, federal judge in Arizona, I believe. Uh, that that kind of threw that out. Uh, it's not just woe to sell. I'm hearing uh, 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 the concerns with uh, the uh, uh, the Biden administration. The president's taking another bite at the apple, vending stepped-up basis. You know, for for family farms, um, that's an average cost. If you end stepped-up basis, and uh, Senator Bozeman and I, he's uh, the ranking member. Uh, ranking senator on the, on the Senate Agriculture Committee, we reached out to Texas A&M, had them do an analysis on what that, that would mean for the death tax. And they come back and uh, they looked at uh, 100 different farms, you know, different commodities, different climates, regions, that kind of thing. It was an excellent study. They found out that 98 out of 100 would experience in the passing of a generation an average increase in death tax of $1.5 million. So you gotta ask yourself, if you're a farmer, uh, or you're or you're inheriting a farm, you know what part of a farm or a ranch do you sell off to get 1.5 million dollars in order to buy it back, you know, from the government essentially, and still have a farm or a ranch at at the end of the day. Uh, a um, you know a policy that I think is flying way under the rate, two way under the radar. Uh, we have the Security Exchange Commission, SEC, and nobody would ever expect the SEC would do something that would impact our farmers and ranchers. But in this whole woke mentality that they have, there now they have something called a three-tier admission that's going to require farmers of all sizes to be able to, if you deal with a, um, a publicly, you know, you buy your equipment or you do something that with somebody that's a publicly traded organization, or quite frankly, you deal with somebody who deals with a publicly traded organization, you might not even know it, you are going to be held responsible to report data on a regular basis back to the government. Well, you know, I don't know if large farmers and ranchers can do this, but I'm absolutely convinced small, medium sized do not have the time, the capacity, or the ability to do this. But this is the type of uncertainty that's out there uh, that is really, uh, it's really hurting. It's a part of everything else that's going on. The, you know, what, hap what has happened with, um, American energy production, what has happened with the EPA sidelining their, their scientists when it comes to approving certain crop protection chemicals that we know have been proven safe in the past. I mean, they, they actually put their scientists on the sideline and let the political types, you know, uh, make decisions. And, 
you know, there's a whole, there's a lot of things out there in terms of how they treat potash and, uh, uh, and the different minerals that we could use to manufacture our own, uh, uh, our own fertilizer here now that we've lost access to about a third of the world's fertilizer between uh, Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. Um, and it's all self-inflicted, uh, self-inflicted by the Biden, Biden White House. Uh, um, and I'll stop with this. You know, at a time in, in the world history where probably by this fall, because of an evil dictator, Vladimir Putin, what he did in Ukraine, which is the breadbasket of Europe, not just Europe, uh, actually Middle East gets most of its food from Ukraine. By this fall, we're going to see significant, in other parts of the world, in the United States, we're going to keep seeing higher prices for food. In the rest of the world, it's going to be hunger, starvation, and death by famine. And it's going to be a biblical proportion, so unfortunately, I believe. That's my sad prediction. So if there was ever a time when we ought to give our American farmers every tool they need, including certainty that WOTUS isn't coming back, um, so that you could, the way I look at it, if the American farmers with the right tools, every bushel you produce above and beyond your normal yield could be a life saved somewhere in the world. And I think that's a cause worth, worth doing. Um. Well, I can speak specifically to what one of the priorities we're going to have, and this isn't necessarily WOTUS, um, but in terms of uh, transportation and all the money that's going out as a result of the uh, uh, infrastructure bill that was passed. And they're trying to take the guardrails off is what they're trying to do because you're trying to push this money out just as fast as they possibly can, knowing full well that Republicans might take over the House in, uh, in November. So they're trying to push this money out very, very quickly. So they've taken the guardrails off which leaves a whole lot of opportunity for fraud and abuse and, uh, and problems with, uh, with, with, with just the, the uh, distribution of, uh, of those funds. So we're going to be heavily into oversight and, uh, and bringing the administration in, if we take the majority, uh, bringing the administration in and explaining some of the programs and what they have done and what they are doing, why they are uh, removing the guidelines and, and uh, the restrictions uh, on, uh, on some of those dollars. So we're going to be actively involved. And I know every committee in, in the House of Representatives is going to be actively involved in oversight uh, over the administration and, and how they're doing some of this stuff. The administration is trying to rewrite a lot of the legislation that's out there, too, and a perfect example is uh, uh, when it comes to the, the infrastructure bill that was passed. Again, this is, this is a little bit different than, uh, than WOTUS, but there was an amendment that was debated and defeated, which gave what it basically said was it restricted the states on what they could use. They did not want the amendment would not allow states to be able to add more capacity or add more lanes when it comes to highway construction. Um, well, our thought was always been, you know, the states, let the states determine that. What's good for Pennsylvania is, is, is not necessarily good for Missouri, is not necessarily good for California. Um, every state's a little bit different. So give states the latitude and the, uh, and the uh, uh, opportunity to be able to make those determinations themselves. Well, that amendment failed. So it stood in the law. Give states that, uh, that flexibility. Well, then what happened was, was the administration came out through the the Federal Highway Administration, and they put those restrictions right back in. This was debated and defeated in the U.S. Senate, and yet they put it back in through uh, uh, through regulatory authority. And so that's some one of the very things that, that you know we're going to be looking at is what the administration is doing outside of the intent of the law. The intent of the law, 
um, is uh, is what we need to be paying attention to, not what what uh, uh, the administration determines that they want to do. And, and I know uh, you guys are going to be doing the same thing. Every committee in Congress is going to be actively involved in oversight. Yeah, oversight is a key responsibility. Unfortunately, we're not in the majority, so we uh, we're not the chairman yet. Um, so we we don't get to, we don't get to drive the agenda. We we don't we're not in a position to have the authority really to require the administration to come in and to testify before our committees. And I I don't know about transportation infrastructure, but I've been 18 months have been uh, well, let me just say 17 months very frustrated unable to get anyone from USDA before the committee to really ask tough questions on on a lot of different issues. Um, uh, it, it, you know the frustrating part? You know, the majority party actually threatened subpoenas on processors, um, but they will not even extend and even make the request uh, to USDA to um, at least for 17 months. Now, it has changed. Uh, I, want to, I give credit where credit's due. And we have had... Um, uh, a, a couple hearings in the month of June, and, and we've had some folks there from USDA. Uh, most of them are career employees um, that actually are doing a great job, and they have been doing a great job, the right people in the right place. Uh, they've been working through different administrations, different secretaries, but we're still not getting, we know that the political strings are paid, are really pulled by the political appointees. And the, uh, the majority party is just protecting this administration so far and um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where uh, where we have a change of roles and uh, roles in terms of ROLE where we're able to you know to make those demands to because that's important I mean we all hear about checks and balances and oversight is an important part of checks and balances in terms of the, the relationship between the legislative branch and the executive branch. I, I have to tell you, you know where I find out what uh, Secretary Vilsack is going to do uh, later today or tomorrow? Either social media or cable news. <laughs> it, that's honest. And I've had that discussion with the Secretary. I've worked with Secretary Vilsack for, for what, eight years under President Obama, and, and, and we got along okay. I mean, there's certain things we did and didn't. He was a supporter of WOTUS, I wasn't. But the other things like restoring milk fat in our schools and yep. that he was all on board with. And I thought he did a great job with the Dairy Export Council the four years before he came back to being secretary. Um, but all these things that they've done where they're really just kind of robbing blind the, the uh, Commodity Credit Corporation. Um, I don't know how many billions. You know, the credit, Commodity Credit Corporation is designed, that's our safety net for farmers when they run on tough times, right? Well, I think we're in tough times. We may have record commodity prices, but farming and ranching is a business. And at the end of the day, it's not how much money you're bringing in, it's how much you're left with, it's your margin. And our input costs, you know, fertilizer and diesel fuel and propane and seeds and labor, I mean, everything is just up there to where, well, sadly, I think we're gonna see some commodities are gonna go upside down. And some commodities are doing worse than others. I mean, commodity of rice isn't, their, their prices aren't even that good. And they're enduring those, uh, dealing with those uh, input costs. And, and so that's why the CCC is so important because we're, you know, we're kind of on unchartered territory here. And yet every, almost every week or every couple times a month, I hear about 
you know, uh, where the secretary's taking a billion out for this climate smart solutions. And I'm not even, not even sure what that means. Um, or, you know, or he's taking a billion out for processors or he's taking, you know, it's, uh, and you would think that you would, um, you, you'd be consulted, right? Um, but it's just not happening. And I've raised that with the secretary and expressed to him that that's not how we do, that's not how agriculture works. We, we're one farm team. You know, we may be Republicans and Democrats, but we all ought to be working for the best of, of uh, folks who work so hard to provide us what we need. And, and unfortunately, it's still working that way. If I want to, if uh, I don't get any phone calls from the secretary, uh, give me a heads up of what he's announced he's going to do next. I got to watch it on cable news or, or Twitter, I guess. So, question. There's that old adage that we respond to the information we're given. And we, meaning now the bureaucrats and the media, are trying to defend the indefensible. So we are getting very, very mixed, if any, messages that are applicable to the real world. Is that, is that true? And that makes your jobs, notwithstanding that you both will become chairman, that's going to even, at that rate, it's going to be tough. In it, so how do we get? How do we? How do you guys represent? We the people. How do you take that 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 back? Because it looks to us like those of us that live here, where it's great and we love it that you're there and we're here. But damn, we're confused and we're ticked off. But you're the ones that have to carry the water, and we feel for you. But what can we do for you? Well, first of all, I, I, I'd use one of the Ronald Reagan rules, uh, trust but verify. <laughs> so whatever you're here, uh, and, don't, and uh, I don't think anybody in the rooms here is young enough to, to really be focused on getting their, their actual news from Twitter. Uh, but, you know, that, that does happen among some people and certainly encourage that not to happen. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, the things that you hear in the mainstream media, cable news, um, you know, try to verify is, is what's most important. Uh, I always encourage folks to, um, uh, you know, use, use your member, you know, one of your primary sources for information, and I think you'll get accurate information, is your member of Congress. And it's the great staff that we have. It's our offices. And so if there's really questions on key things that come up and you're looking for, for clarifications, I, 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 I would encourage that. We, uh, uh, it is it is a struggle because of uh, you know um, you know basically it's it's hard to get you know sometimes it's hard to get the truth out there you know and but there you go somebody really smart said that at one point other questions WOTUS inputs what do y'all want to talk about I mean this is <laughs> This is a great opportunity. Yeah, we all want to be holding our breaths for that October. Uh, I think October 3rd, I believe, is when uh, Supreme Court is going to hear that. Uh, uh, it's a case from Idaho. Uh, Michael and Chantel. Sackett. Sackett. Yep. Yeah. And it's all about the nexus. I mean, it's I mean, it's a perfect question for the Supreme Court to, to weigh in. Did the EPA overreach in terms of defining what makes you a part of a navigable waterway? And so this... We're on a pretty good roll with the Supreme Court. We'll see, though. This, some of those justices are hard to predict what they'll do. 
Todd. Yeah, let me repeat that question. Basically, you know, what do we see, what do I see as the uh, the the priorities and the timeline for the 2023 farm bill? 2023 farm bill expires the end of September. Um, we got three options. Number one, we can just uh, not get it done. That's really not acceptable. That's because we convert back to Dust Bowl era uh, farm bill policy, and nobody wants that. So that is not an option. Uh, number two isn't that great of an option, and that is that we just do a, uh, um, you know, an extension. Uh, when you do an extension, you fail to take the opportunity to make improvements, uh, to make because when you reauthorize, you refine, you you uh, you you make things better in certain places, you take things away that are causing problems, you refine, uh, uh, provide uh, clarity where clarity is needed. So that. That's that's really not a great option. The really only option in my mind is we get this thing done. Um, we uh, uh, on timeline we're we're way behind. Uh, we're two years. We we basically wasted a year and a half where nothing happened. Um, well, more than that actually. You have to go back to the next Congress. Now part of that was COVID, but I'll be honest with you, we we wound up doing pretty effective. Uh, not my favorite way to do it, but virtual hearings. So we could have been doing farm bill hearings three years ago, uh, but you know the Democrats were in charge. They they they, they chose not to do that for whatever reason. Um, up until through May, we weren't doing anything. I mean, literally, uh, the 2018 farm bill was a pretty good farm bill, but that's probably because I think it was because we brought everybody's voices to the table across America when it came to agriculture. Uh, we did 130 different hearings or listening sessions, field sessions, and as of May, we, we hadn't broke 10. I mean, uh, we'd have probably been at 100 if you put the template of 2018. So we're, we are way behind. Now, we did pick the intensity up this month, and I think that intensity is going to continue. But we need to be doing field hearings more than just uh, you know, myself uh, joining Sam here, but this is valuable because you're we're going to take your voices back to Washington as a part of this next farm bill. But you know what? We ought to have a whole slew of members here, you know, uh, which is normally what we do. You know, we come in, we bring Republicans, we bring Democrats, and we do a field hearing. We go and do some site visits. We maybe visit three states in two days. Um, that starts in January, so I guess. Um, uh, and then uh, priorities. Uh, my priorities are your priorities uh, because that's the way I look at it. I'm, I, my goal is to be the voice for American agriculture. So I'm, I want to hear from you all. Now, some of the things I'm hearing, so I'll just share the stuff I'm, I'm hearing in other places. Obviously, the safety net programs are really important. Uh, what I'm hearing when it comes to crop insurance is do no harm. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, uh, there is some discussions because of all the disasters you know, uh, nature is not kind, and we did do the WIP Plus bill, uh, but maybe there's some lessons we can learn from that ad hoc uh, disaster assistance that maybe we could incorporate into crop insurance. But we never want to make it so that uh, people are discouraged from buying crop insurance. 
That, that is one of the best forms of a public-private partnership, and it only works when we have significant numbers buying into it. Um, hearing a lot about the role of innovation um, and how important that is. When you look at uh, uh, new technology, uh, the application of science, you know, it's amazing. American agriculture has increased productivity 287% uh, since the 1940s. So here's my goal. It's uh, a little bold, but I think we can get there. We want to take that to 400% by the year 2035. And so let's make sure that we're doing the types of innovation, technology, real science, not political science, uh, within agriculture to be able to, uh, to get us there. Uh, obviously, hearing a lot about animal health, animal viruses today between uh, 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 poultry, um, and uh, high avian, avian uh, influenza um, and the AS uh, um, uh, oh, African swine fever. yeah F yeah ASF African swine fever you know which is uh, basically is in Dominican Republic we haven't seen it here that's that's a concern making sure we build on the vaccine pool that we that we created in 2018 so we're ready for those types of of things uh, like uh, ASF and it hits our shores. Um, I'm trying to, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, in terms of the farm bill, uh, and I'll end with this one. I mean, uh, Title I, um, uh, the commodities. I mean, that's, that's a system that we've always run based on reference prices, and it's driven by reference prices, and we have out, for the most part, most commodities, we have outstanding reference prices. But there's very little margin if any, because of the, of the input costs. So the question is, does reference prices really work under Title I in this environment? Uh, the one thing I'm very thankful that we did starting in 2014, and I will say the Ag Committee got it right and somebody else in Congress screwed it up, was the dairy coverage that we put, dairy risk management. Um, if they would have just left intact what the Agriculture Committee passed, it would have been great. But somebody messed with it and they made it unaffordable and unhelpful. Uh, we fixed that in 2018, and thankfully, you know, we I think we saved a lot of dairy farms since then because of dairy margin coverage. So that that's a margin product that really has worked out rather well. So the question is, and we need to have lots of hearings, and and we need to hear from the folks, from all of you. You know, is margin the way we should go and look at some application when it comes to Title One with the reference prices? So those are some of the things I'm hearing about. Sam, I did not hear GT mention climate you know i read some articles that this is going to be our first climate farm bill comments absolutely not <laughs> farm bill is not a climate bill the farm bill really is has a positive impact on the climate uh because of the american farmers ranchers and foresters you know i get so tired of this bullseye that they put on the back of the american farmer that says climate criminal which is completely a complete lie let's call it what it is right um, and um, so the, the, ag, the ag Republicans, the farm team is what I call them. I mean, we are doing what our mothers told us to do, on, uh, told us what not to do. When it comes to climate, we're not only at the table, our elbows are, are squarely on the table, and we're leaning into this, but we're leaning into it on conservative climate solutions. And the solution is the American farmer, rancher, and forester. When you look at the data that comes from, and it's a source that, uh, yeah, in the past, I would disagree with and make fun of the uh, inter, inter, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate. You look at their data that they put out on climate under the, under the, the label of natural land solutions. 
You know what natural land solutions are? It's you. It's American farming, American ranching, and American uh, uh, forestry. Um, and so they've measured the amount of greenhouse gases, carbon that is sequestered on those lands across the country. And we're farming about, just farming, that doesn't include the forestry part, about 911 million acres in this country. Um, but if you take all of it with forestry, we actually sequester 6.1 gigatons of carbon a year. Now, I don't know how big a gigaton is, but it sounds huge, right? <laughs> so you put it into perspective and you read further a little deeper in the research, and what you find is we're sequestering 10.1% more carbon than what we admit on those lands. So the American farmer, rancher, and forester are the carbon heroes. They are the leading force for a, better, for a better climate, for less greenhouse gas emissions. And the beauty of it, when we do it, we're manufacturing topsoil. So it's, it's a win-win. And, and to put it into perspective, one last piece of uh, research, which I really like to brag on. If at this moment on, what is today, the 30th? What's today's date? The 29th. 29th, I lose track when I'm traveling. So on June 29th, at this moment, if we wanted to immediately reduce the emission of greenhouse gases uh, or sequester greenhouse gases around the world, there's only one solution. And as it, that is for the American farmer, rancher, and forester to produce more and export it overseas. And that's because of our productivity, and it's because American agriculture is science, technology, and innovation. And no, I have no intentions of letting the next farm bill become a climate bill. We should be getting an amen. <laughs> Sure does. Forage, you, you bet. All parts of it. And it's different. You know, it's different depending on, on where you're at, on the climate, on the, um, on the uh, com, you know, the, the commodity you're growing, uh, on how much moisture you get and don't get. But all of it sequesters. But that's why it's so hard when they talk about doing this uh, carbon bank, which I'm not opposed to. I just don't want the government to run it. Um, it it's going to be a challenge uh, because, you know, it's... The amount of sequestration is uh, is different everywhere, and I, I'm uh, I, I'm really uh, want to be really careful in this space because uh, we we've got a whole bunch of folks in Washington who because we just talked about what happened with tobacco, right? And I I have tobacco growers at home, old order Amish, Burley tobacco. I love visiting those folks. They they create their own workforce. They have these huge families. Um, so it's a real advantage over a lot of our English farmers, the rest of us. Um, but um, when I look at what happened to the tobacco industry, you know, there, you start to quantify, depending on where you're at, how much carbon you're sequestering. Somebody's going to be at the lower end of that scale. And will there be folks that will be in power at some point says, you know what, we really only need the folks. We, we, we ought to do a buyout or something on on these commodities because they're at the low end of the of the carbon scale you know they're just they're just barely pulling their weight they get a dry year it's they they may even be carbon neutral um and so that i think that's why we have to be really careful whatever we do uh if in the area of uh, carbon banks congressman graves any comments on the whole climate front i'm just i'm glad to hear what he's fired he up to say about yeah, yeah. about uh uh, you know the carbon tile or, or whatever it's going to be in the, in the next farm bill if there that's it's good to hear 
Yeah, we, we got to, I'm going to do a shameless plug for a bill, okay? Okay. All right. Uh, it's called the Sustains Act, and this is the kind of solutions we need. You know, and we've done a number of bills we've, uh, that, that will help. Um, the, uh, the Ag Republicans have a, um, well, we've got one that came from Natural Resource. It's in the Ag jurisdiction. That's a trillion trees. But we've got a number, number of other really good, um, good climate bills that are conservative climate solutions. One of them just passed the House as part of a package called the Precise Act. And that would help uh, if the Senate would pass that and uh, the president would sign it, that would actually be cost sharing to help farmers and ranchers be able to afford some more of the precision agriculture equipment that's out there, which is incredibly cool with what it does, uh, but incredibly expensive. And so we want to make the, I'd like to see that technology being available to more farmers. But the Sustains Act is the, is the flagship piece of legislation when it comes to climate. And what that does is uh, it creates a public-private partnership with USDA. So you've got all these corporations, you know, Amazon, Apple, uh, you name it, all the, all the big organizations, you know, and they want their climate credentials. They're the ones who have been really interested in this, these climate banks. Well, this is an alternative for them. It would allow them to make a financial contribution to this public-private partnership that goes to USDA. Uh, now, the beauty of the Sustains Act, um, the local mom-and-pop hardware store, tractor supply, grocery store could also make a contribution to this to be able to get their, their climate champion credentials. And they can put it on their letterheads, their advertising, they're, they're sustainable because they're, su they're supporting uh, pro-climate um, initiatives. That money that comes to USDA, you know what we would use, the proposal uses it for? Be able to fund more conservation programs. You know, fund more of the tools that really help our farmers, ranchers, and foresters uh, be, uh, be climate heroes. And so, um, you know, we're getting some interesting interest in that. We've uh, we still got a ways to go with it, uh, uh, but I, I and I'm not opposed to the. Uh, there's a there's a proposal out there that came from the Senate, passed out of the Senate, 98 to two or something like that. I, I mean, I shouldn't say this. My wife would slap me if she was here, so she's not here, so I'll say it. You know, I think sometimes the Senate do things because they feel like they need to, and I think it's more important to do the right thing. And so this Growing Greener Climate Solutions Act, I think I, I uh, got the proper name for that, Aaron, if I didn't correct me. Um, I am not opposed to that bill. I'm just opposed to it in its current form. Because um, the bill as it's written, and I'm right, working right now with uh, Majority Leader Hoyer on this, you know, we need to, we need to make some tweaks on this. Um, uh, it is about carbon banks. Um, anything that we do um, when it comes to climate, uh, we're operating under what I call principle-based uh, leadership for House Ag Republicans. And when it comes to climate, the four principles we define, no matter what you do in climate, number one, American farmers and ranchers and foresters ought to be the first primary ones to benefit financially, not some non-governmental agency, not somebody within the Beltway. Number two is we, you know, we, we, um, you can't not have a healthier environment without a healthier economy. It goes hand in hand. That's why the New Green Deal would, even if it, they would pass it and it gets signed, it, it, it would die within a year because it would crush the economy. Uh, number three is you, uh, uh, it needs to be science-based and not political science. It needs to be real science, as I like to say, according to God's law. And number four is let's start with what we know works, and that's the farm bill. Those are the tools that help our uh, those folks in American agriculture uh, have the tools that they need. And so uh, 
the uh, uh, but that's what the sustains act would do boy you talk about there's a reason why he's ranking member and hopefully going to be the chairman when we think about the months ahead this is the leadership that we need leadership that's rooted in listening to farmers and ranchers and carrying that back to washington dc and you have hit the nail on the head when it comes to farmers and ranchers and foresters being the frontline conservationists and stewards and something that's unique to missouri since the mid 80s we've taxed ourselves one tenth cent sales tax half of which goes to state parks the other half goes to soil and water conservation so when we talk about WOTUS, when we talk about climate missouri farmers and ranchers have been doing something for decades now partnering with our fellow Missourians to put common sense conservation on the ground. So that's something you can take back uh, to show that you know Missouri farmers and ranchers are serious when it comes to caring for this environment and you're hearing the same thing all over. So thank you for fighting the fight on WOTUS on all of these fronts. Uh, any closing comments guys and we're going to wrap up and let you mingle here for a minute. Well, I'll start first. Um, I just want to thank Sam for the invitation to be here. I'm just thrilled to get the invitation, thrilled to be with him. Such a good friend. I've worked with Sam. It's hard to believe now for me. It's been uh, 14 years. Uh, feels like a lifetime, but it's. Uh, uh, we've been in a lot of battles together, uh, trying to do the right things and, and doing the right things frequently when we have the opportunity to do that. I, I, I think we're going to be, um, right now we're playing defense and uh, and as an old uh, offensive defensive tack or defense old defensive tackle, I'm okay with that, I guess. But I'd sooner be on offense, and I think we'll we're going to have that opportunity within uh, within a few months. And so I uh, I just want to extend an invitation. Uh, we I uh, really it's sincere. I need your voice at the table when it comes for the next farm bill because it's um, that is so incredibly important. And so please feel free whether it's you know. Uh, you know, when you got identifying issues that uh, are um, the things that you think we should be doing or concerns with things that are going on, you know, please pass that along because um, we're only going to do as well as is uh, unless we hear from all the voices of American agriculture. Uh, Garrett hit it uh, right on the head. Farmers and ranchers were the the ultimate conservationists. Were the ultimate environmentalists. Um, if we don't take care of the resources that we depend on so much, um, then we're not going to be able to, uh, to produce. And the fact of the matter is, um, the United States, you know, we produce a lot of the food and fiber for the world. And uh, because we are some of the best, you know, okay. some of the best production, uh, you know, anywhere. And we still have the safest, the most abundant, and the most affordable food supply uh, in the world right here in the United States. And that's because, um, that's because of, of, of us, all of us that do it. So thanks, Garrett, for doing Let's this. Let's give these gentlemen a hand. All right, before we, before we depart, I want to recognize a few other folks. State Representative Josh Hurlburt's here. Yes. Our friend from the Missouri Electric Co-ops, Rebecca Eichelberger's here. The Farm Bureau team, would you wave to everybody? Thank you for all your work. Okay, Joby, you weren't here earlier. So Joby Young uh, will now be, is 
American Farm Bureau's newly appointed executive vice president starting here in two weeks, roughly. Huge deal, folks. When you think about uh, this position, we'll be leading our team in Washington, D.C. Uh, Joby is a familiar face, having served as chief of staff to, to former Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. Uh, welcome to the Farm Bureau family, Joby. We look forward to working with you. And of course, thank you to Mr. Thompson's team, Aaron and Joby both for, for helping make this happen. And thank you for coming to Missouri. Okay, thank you all.